75 years ago today, the war in Europe ended. It was a day of great celebration, but also great uncertainty. Churchill said, you know, this is your victory. And the crowd shouted back, no, it's yours. Yet two months later, the British had voted Churchill out of office. The anniversary of VE Day was supposed to be marked with street parties and concerts. Instead, people all over Britain will mark it at home, as the country is once more in the grip of a crisis. There's not going to be a, a sudden moment when this is won and when the wretched virus signs a surrender document and gives up its arms. That's not going to happen. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, what can VE Day tell us about our current crisis? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the BBC Home Service. Here is the news. During the first few moments of this bulletin, the war in Europe is coming to its official end. A very great crowd has collected already. Thousands upon thousands of people gathered to share this historic day with the King and Queen. The entire space, the whole roadway, the whole pavement and the whole uh, scene is one dense mass of people. So it was an extraordinary day, really. I mean, on May the 8th, 1945, the world threw the biggest party there's ever been. Ben McIntyre has written a number of books about the war, and he's also writer-at-large and associate editor of The Times. A week earlier, Hitler had shot himself in the Führerbunker. The German act of military surrender was signed in France on May the 7th and a modified document in Berlin the next day. And the world erupted in celebration. And nowhere more than in Britain. There's pretty much gridlock in Piccadilly and sort of the West End. It's now thought that more than a million people took to the streets of London alone. And those are the familiar uh, pictures that we've all seen, the black and white photographs of servicemen hugging wrens, everyone dancing, everyone singing, people very jubilant dancing in and out of Trafalgar Square. There were bonfires, there were street parties, uh, people pooled their rations, and there were fireworks. Fireworks, of course, had been banned for six years. Tell 
us a bit about some of the characters at the centre of the action. I mean, how was Churchill spending the day? Well, Churchill sort of yo-yoed, really, between Whitehall and the palace. He appeared on the balcony with the king and queen. The king and queen appeared no less, I think, than eight times on the balcony. Here they come. First her majesty, the queen. It comes into view. Then the king in the uniform. The crowd outside Buckingham Palace was shouting, we want the king, we want the king. And they, they, they kept coming back and again. And then when Churchill appeared alongside them, this sort of amazing cheer went up as, as he arrived. But, of course, among the crowd that day were princesses Elizabeth and Margaret, then aged 19 and 14, um, who'd slipped out. Elizabeth was wearing her ATS uniform with the cap pulled down over her eyes and they, I suspect, for the first time and last time in their lives, danced the conga, did the Lambeth walk. One of the companions who was with them, Margaret Rhodes, said that everyone was kissing everybody else. It's entirely possible um, that the Queen kissed someone to whom she hadn't actually been formally introduced, which I don't think has probably ever happened before or afterwards. The wonderful uh, Molly Panter Downs, who was a novelist but a writer for The New Yorker, did notice something that is actually very evident in the photographs, which is that, uh, as she said, the number of extraordinarily pretty girls was astonishing, she wrote, strolling with their uniformed boys, arms candidly about each other. I think there was a kind of moment of of, of great release, really, in button-down Britain. I mean, naturally button-down because of the way we are, but also really buttoned down lockdown effectively for six years so there was this moment of sort of huge release but that said uh, there's a wonderful story that Beryl Bainbridge um, the late novelist used to tell uh, which was about being taken out to lunch that day by her middle class parents and she wrote the man who earned his living by having boulders broken on his chest in Williamson Square was standing outside the restaurant belting out the song it's a lovely day tomorrow it's a lovely day My dad gave him a shilling and shook his hand like they were equals. My mother made him go instantly to the gents to wash off the germs. You know, certain British conventions about class and mixing didn't, didn't last very long after VE Day. But it was, I think, it was a sort of upsurge of slightly bewildered joy is the way I think I tried to describe it. And this enormous party, the euphoria, it all paused briefly as the country stopped for Churchill's speech. Tell me about that. Yes, I mean, it was, you know, Whitehall fell silent as Churchill gave what was a a radio address. And in fact, the king also gave uh, his own radio address later in the day. And Churchill said, this is a national celebration. This is not about any one of us. This is, this is your victory. And it was, it was quite a moment, actually, I think. It really, I mean, the whole of London went very, very quiet. I mean, it was, really was a sort of sudden eruption of joy, but it was also, in some ways, a slightly muted response. Like many things about the war, we look back on it as if it was a simple sort of story of black and white, you know, triumph over evil, Britain emerges from this terrible, brutal war, and right triumphed. And of course, that is true, you know, in lots of ways. But as with lots of things about the war, and and this is one of the reasons why I've always loved writing about it, war was complicated. War wasn't a simple issue of moral black and white. Lots of people emerged from this 
really traumatic event, extremely damaged. And in fact, interestingly, the king himself struck a very sombre note when he gave his radio address. He said, let us remember those who will not come back. We've come to the end of our tribulation and they are not with us at the moment of our rejoicing. And for all the people that poured into Trafalgar Square to sort of dance, many, many just spent the day in sad reflection. Many took the opportunity to lay flowers on the graves of the dead. There's an account from Mass Observation, this sort of social research group, which fascinated me. They they wrote that on VE night, most people were either at home, at small private parties, at indoor dances or in public houses, or collected in small groups around bonfires where there was some singing and dancing, but by no means riotous. And I think that's... I think that's terribly interesting. We've become very familiar with the photographs of people dancing in the streets and, and you know, frolicking in Trafalgar Square fountains and so on. But actually, in large parts of the country, it was a sort of muted celebration. It was very much shadowed with sadness, a, a sense of the incredible losses that had been sustained and a great uncertainty about what might be coming next. Many people, I think, in a way, they were left slightly rudderless by the end of the war. And funnily enough, a nurse in, in Leeds noted in her diary that people seemed lost and off their bearings because all at once the sort of thing they knew about had been taken away from them, the war. So there was, into all the sort of excitement and euphoria, was a note of uncertainty. That There were people who were extremely worried. In fact, even in Parliament Square, a man was heard saying it was just like this after the last war and 12 months later we were standing in dole queues, beneath what seems to be a moment of explosion of support for Churchill and national pride and we've won the war and it's all marvellous, a a kind of political undercurrent was already running at the height of the VE celebrations and the cheering crowds gathered below his balcony as, as Churchill said, you know, this is your victory and the crowd shouted back, no, it's yours. Yet two months later the British had voted Churchill out of office. Like all things about the war, it it is more complicated often than we see it in memory and the way that it is evoked in those very familiar black and white photographs. And how would you explain that? How would you explain the incongruity of Churchill being voted out just two months later? The effect of wars are very difficult to calculate. I mean, it was great for Margaret Thatcher. Great crises sometimes produce, you know, enormous popularity. It'll be, I mean, to make a comparison, you know, it'll be very interesting to see what it feels like at the end of the coronavirus crisis and what the long-term political impacts of that will be. Alongside the euphoria of victory, there was clearly a lot of grief at the end of the war. Um, People will have been mourning individual losses, all those who didn't make it to VE Day. But was there also a sense that something had been lost? The nation would never be quite the same again. You can tell in a strange way that something had broken, something had changed. There was a deep hunger for a return to what life had been like before the war. But I think there was an absolutely universal realisation or acceptance in time that it never could. In a way, VE Day is kind of the last great party of the old world, of a world that was never going to come back again. VE Day really does in some ways mark a kind of hinge in history because you look back and, and everything before was different and everything after was different. And as a 
a moment in the nation's history. How does that compare with what we're living through now? There's been a bit of a sort of backlash against wartime um, references. I think some people have had enough of hearing about the Blitz spirit and, and Boris Johnson sort of channeling Churchill and so on. I'm very sympathetic to the sort of comparison between coronavirus and and the war, because for many of us, and, and particularly for an older generation, that is the defining event of the last century. So I think it is a perfectly reasonable thing to compare to. I mean, partly because COVID-19 and its impacts will rival the Second World War for historical significance and emotional trauma and long-term impact on the way we live and think. I suppose what's hard to tell at the moment here is that this has been such a, a drastic change for us all, but actually such a brief one, whereas the war had dragged on for years and people's whole lives had been changed over a dramatic amount of time. For us, it's been a matter of weeks. I mean, I wonder if that sort of has as deep an impact. Well, I think you make a very, very good point. I mean, it's everything has changed utterly in the ma- in a matter of weeks. I mean, the, 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 the war was a long time coming, but, you know... <laughs> Who knows how long this one is going to go on for? We don't really have a kind of historical perspective on the place we're sitting. And I think that was also true of the war. I mean, it was supposed to be over by Christmas, you know. (laughs) I think that that uncertainty is woven into the whole story. It's always alarming when you hear that the number of people who've already died of coronavirus in this country exceeds the number who died in the Blitz, which is stunning. The Blitz was horrendous to live through, but actually in terms of bloodshed, it was quite limited. That was because you know, the government had taken appropriate steps and, and many people had been evacuated and so on. But yeah, I mean, you know, the numbers are spiralling upwards. I mean, of course, here's another great difference is that we know about them. Whatever the debate about what kind of reporting of the numbers we're getting, we are getting numbers. In the war, we didn't, for obvious reasons, to maintain civilian morale. Numbers of dead were not produced. Do you think there was something about the way During the war, the entire country felt a huge loss in one way or another. You know, people were going to fight from every part of the country. People's lives were being upended across the country. People were joining the land army or, you know, everyone was coming together. Although we're all under lockdown, is there a sense that it might be slightly different at the end of this because some parts will have suffered much more than others? Yes, I think that is right. Although it has to be said, you know, the the war although it was equally shared by everybody over those long periods. I mean, it did affect different communities in different ways. You know, I mean, if you lived through the Blitz, you had a very different kind of wartime experience. You know, if you lived through COVID in London, you're going to have a different experience from anyone who's living on the island of Lewis in the Outer Hebrides. I mean, I think that there is a sense of national unity. We're all in this together. But I think that is, in a way, one of the areas where the wartime comparison begins to fall apart because, yes, everybody was in it together in the war. If Britain had lost the war, everybody would have been in the same boat. And although we are constantly being told we're all in this together uh, in the COVID experience, the truth is that different parts of society are experiencing this pestilence in very different ways. The middle classes and, and those who have resources are having a more comfortable COVID than people who are crushed into tiny flats with no garden and, and, and no way out. So, you know, it is, it is different for different people. And, we, and looking at the numbers, we know that it has a, has a disproportionate impact on disadvantaged sectors of society and ethnic minorities and, and black and Asian people. So although we're all in it together and we're all equally liable to get the virus, you know, it is not an equal opportunities virus.
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com It reminds me of the very first broadcast I made in 1940, helped by my sister. We as children spoke from here at Windsor to children who had been evacuated from their homes and sent away for their own safety. I want to thank you, the people of this country, for the sheer grit and guts you've shown and are continuing to show. Every day, I know that this virus brings new sadness and mourning to households across the land. And it is still true that this is the biggest single challenge this country has faced since the war. How do you see VE Day comparing with the end of coronavirus? Is there something quite important about just the day itself and having a moment where everybody stops and acknowledges that it's over? And is that even possible with a virus when we never really know if it's coming back? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think it was a moment of sort of of sort of national catharsis. It was a purging. It was a specific day. We won't get that with this. There's not going to be a, a sudden moment when this is won and when the wretched virus signs a surrender document and gives up its arms. That's not going to happen. But it's going to be a much longer-term thing. There will come a moment when I think the government will be able to say, yeah, we have won, it's over. Although this thing is going to continue around, we can beat it. We have the treatments, we have the vaccine, we have the antibody test, we have the weapons, as it were. So it's not going to happen in quite the same way, but I, I'd be very surprised if there isn't a moment when it is decided to mark the end of it. On the other hand, I think that that pattern of enormous relief and euphoria, but with an undercurrent of loss and a sense that the world has changed in ways that we don't really understand and, and cannot predict, I suspect that will be there too. In fact, funnily enough, one of the people that, that put that most vividly into words in, in during VE Day, and I suspect... This is, this is something that we may well find that we all feel when this terrible thing that we're living through at the moment comes to an end. It was Geoffrey Howe, the future Chancellor, who was then a soldier in uniform, described feeling an extraordinary sense of bewildered exhilaration on that day. And I think, I think that's probably what we will all feel. I think we will feel, thank, thank heaven, this ghastliness is over. But what on earth happened to us? And where are we going? We will have to learn, relearn in a way the old ways. And I wonder if we will completely, I wonder if we will, as happened after VE Day, realise that actually the world has changed in good ways and bad, that it's, you know, it's, it ain't going to be the same world. These moments of catharsis, and you're, you're right, they're so important for a, a sense of national history. But what happens afterwards? You know, after VE Day, there was still years of rationing and difficulty. Is that something we should be thinking about in terms of what we're living through now? 
I mean, I think this was one of the reasons why Churchill was voted out. I think there was a sort of palpable sense of disappointment. That there was a feeling that this moment had come and that the world had turned and that and, and that joy, you know, was unbounded. But actually, the reality of life was. Yes, I mean, rationing continued, you know, there was unemployment, there was, there was a great deal of mourning to go through. There was a sort of feeling that, gosh, we'd sacrificed so much, and yet I still can't buy more than X amount of bread and X amount of butter. And maybe we will be facing that too. I mean, I think we will, t- we will have to turn around and look at what is going to be a sort of catastrophic economic cost here. And that was, of course, exactly what post-war Britain had to do. Now, who knows? You know, the economy may be able to bounce back in a very um, dramatic way. And indeed, one of the things that one might conceivably take heart from is, I mean, VEA didn't just celebrate victory in Europe. It, it, it celebrated the defeat of Germany. And Germany was utterly destroyed. I mean, you know, the 50 largest cities were reduced to rubble. And yet... Germany rebuilt itself. And the speed at which Germany kind of came back to life after the war might be a reminder to us that actually human beings can regenerate from disaster with extraordinary speed, actually. That from the wreckage of the Third Reich came one of the most stable democracies in the world. So we're a, we're a pretty resilient species, I think, in lots of ways. You talked about how Boris Johnson often models himself on Churchill – do you think he'll be looking at VED and thinking about how soon after that Churchill was out of power? Is there a lesson there? Well, I think if he thinks there's going to be an automatic, you know, viral bounce for him at the end of this, you know, he should t- take a look at, uh, at the man he claims to be his kind of his exemplar. I mean, it may not be like that. There may be considerable recrimination after this. Being Churchill was terrific up until the point when, you know, he was flung out. I mean, it does sort of show that it's very hard to judge politics during a crisis because people are sort of coming together. You never quite know how it's going to land at the end of it. Trying to get a sense of public opinion in the middle of a national emergency is almost impossible because, you know, none of us has really any idea of what the future is going to be. So I think the sort of long-term political impact is is extremely hard to predict. Uh, You wouldn't want to lay money on any particular outcome. Why do you think it is that the Second World War and that moment of victory is still etched on on the national consciousness in the way that it is? Well, I think one of the answers to that is that, as I said, we do tend to look back at the war as a kind of a great moment of moral triumph. I think for the purposes of our collective national history, that is the symbolic place that it occupies. It is the last time when... As Britons, we could feel, in a way, undilutedly good about ourselves. And so I think it, is, it, it matters greatly to people for that reason. The war is still talked about on a near-daily basis. Do you think there is an overuse of World War II analogies, in politics in particular? Well, I think there can be. I mean, th- this talk of bravery and, you know, I can't remember what people said about Johnson now, but when he went in, you know, he's a fighter. He's a fighter, kept people saying. Well, I mean, the implication of that is that those who died somehow were insufficiently brave or didn't fight enough. And that's obviously ridiculous. You don't beat this virus by being brave. You, you, you defeat it by, by luck and medicine. And I do think there is a tendency among politicians to reach for a wartime metaphor before any other, particularly, you know, 
particularly there is a sort of a Brexit um, a Brexiteer who will very, very quickly uh, evoke the spirit of the Battle of Britain, uh, who has never left his armchair and probably knows fairly little about the war. So I think it is evoked with great speed by people who frankly don't really know a huge amount about it. In the way that the Second World War sort of shaped us as a nation, do you think coronavirus will too? I mean, how do you think we'll look back on this in 75 years' time? Oh, I think it will affect us as profoundly as the Second World War. Heaven forbid that the casualties should be so high, but I think in terms of its significance and in terms of its economic impact and in terms of a sort of collective experience, I think we will look back on it as one of the key global events of the 21st century. So I think it bears direct comparison And we may indeed celebrate and at the same time mourn its end in a similar way to the way that the Second World War ended, with a combination of great exuberance and great exhilaration and relief, and not untinged with mourning and grief and uncertainties. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, writer-at-large and associate editor at The Times, Ben McIntyre. You can read more of Ben's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Brenna Daldorf and Asia Fuchs. The executive producer is Leo Hornack, and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'd like to thank the Imperial War Museum. The archive clips in this podcast came from their Voices of War VE Day soundscape. You can hear the whole thing on their website at iwm.org.uk forward slash victory the museum will be releasing two more voices of war soundscapes in august this year to mark the anniversaries of the dropping of the atomic bombs on japan and vj day when the second world war finally drew to a close if you liked what you heard please leave us a review you can subscribe for free we're on apple podcasts spotify acast and more And in these uncertain times, you can keep up to date and well-informed on coronavirus and so much more every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. Have a good weekend. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.